Like the office they commemorate, presidential libraries are living institutions. Certainly it is my hope that the Reagan Library will become a dynamic intellectual forum where scholars interpret the past and policymakers debate the future. Welcome to a Reagan Forum, hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. The Center for Public Affairs offers lectures and forums presenting perspectives on important public policy issues of the day from politicians, authors, members of the media, business and military leaders, and more. Two weeks ago, we came to you with our Reagan National Defense Forum keynote address with Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Today, we will share our fireside chat with Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo. This was the Defense Forum's first time hosting the Secretary of Commerce, and we were honored to host her. As mentioned previously, the Reagan National Defense Forum allows senior leaders from the defense community to come together with viewpoints on how best to deal with challenges in their field. This annual convening of the top minds within the defense space provides for unique perspectives via high-level conversations with people who are in the room where decisions are made. The Reagan National Defense Forum's primary objective is to review and assess policies that strengthen America's national defense in the context of a global threat environment. Under Secretary Raimondo's leadership, the Department of Commerce has intensified its emphasis on enhancing the global competitiveness of U.S. businesses, improving the security of America's supply chains, and decreasing reliance on China for products and technologies essential to our national security. Secretary Raimondo has been instrumental in the implementation of the Chips and Science Act, which lays out a long-term vision for building America's technological leadership to pace the threat from China by funding programs across all U.S. manufacturing sectors. The fireside chat focused on the nexus of America's economic and technological competitiveness with national security. Let's listen. Madam Secretary, thank you. Good morning. We have a packed house here. Pressure's on. Lot to get to. Very excited to have you here on stage with me, uh, Secretary Raimondo, so thank happy you. Happy to be here, very happy to be here. I, I do want to start a little bit with the context, because this is the first time we've seen a Commerce Secretary here at the Reagan National Defense Forum, uh, one of the biggest defense conferences of the year. And I think the fact that you are here really speaks to the growing intersection of industrial, economic, and tech policy where national security uh, is concerned. So, so I want to start right there. Why should commerce be taking on this expanded role in matters of national security? Yes, well, good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. Um, thank you to, for having me. Look, I think everybody here knows the fact that our national defense is more than guns, missiles, tanks, and drones. It's technology. It's innovation. It's working with our allies. Quite frankly, our national security rests upon our economic security. You cannot be a strong nation that defends itself unless you have the most competitive economy in the world and an innovation engine that leads the world. And by the way, it's not just at home, it's abroad. You know, uh, our allies around the world want us to show up, not just to send them fighter jets, but to help create jobs. And whether that's in the Indo-Pacific or South America, you know, our adversaries, most particularly China, they're showing up every day, showing up every day with money and infrastructure and jobs. And if we want to win, we have to show up too. Uh, in fact, I was delighted to go uh, to Panama with General Richardson a few months ago 
I'll be going to the Philippines with uh, <clears throat> Commander Aguilino next year. Like, it, this is game on. Game on, economic prosperity and opportunity matters every bit as much as pure military might to protect our national security and sustain our place in the world. Is it, is it a reflection, <clears throat> to have you on stage here and to, and to be opening with statements like this, is it, is it a reflection of how much the world has changed or is it a reflection of the fact that U.S. policy should have been more aggressive in terms of that intersection long ago? So, it's a great question. Look, I think it's always been the case that national security rests on economic security. That being said, technology is more important than ever to our national security. And the Commerce Department <clears throat> sits in the center of the administration's technology and innovation policy. So as our uh, military apparatus depends more and more on technology, whether that is artificial intelligence, spectrum strategy, supercomputing, uh, cybersecurity, semiconductors, it's technology matters more to our national security. And the Commerce Department, you know, we are running the administration's um, AI policy. We are, of course, involved, we run export controls, like denying China and our adversaries our most sophisticated technology. Uh, we lead on the, the administration's spectrum policy. So I think as technology is more intertwined with national defense, offensively, you know, investing in semiconductor capacity, defensively denying China technology, like Commerce Department's in the red hot center of that, mm -hmm. and that's more important than it's ever been because technology is more important than it's ever been. We're gonna dig into every one of those topics here. First, one more question before we do, and that is, how are you institutionalizing this national security role? How do you ensure that these are policies that have a lasting impact or at least set the stage or set the precedent for this type of discussion, type of debate, type of approach in the future through different administrations, regardless of political parties? Yeah, so I would say this is definitely not a flash in the pan. I may be the first Commerce Secretary here. I will certainly not be the last. Uh, you know, export controls, we have taken a very aggressive, new, innovative approach to how we're doing export controls. You know, in October of last year, BIS, run by Undersecretary Estevez, who's here with me, did a uh, historic rule, first time ever, that we denied an entire country, China, access to a suite of semiconductors and equipment. We're gonna continue to go in that direction. So we're, we're, we're building a team. You know, I have 100 people working for me now that didn't work in the Commerce Department, just focused on semiconductors. We're adding to our technical capacity at BIS for artificial intelligence. Uh, so I think we're, we're building a more muscular Commerce Department to take on these challenges. And uh, I think that's, you will see that that's here to stay. I will say, for members of Congress who are here, um, I'll just say this. BIS has the same budget today as it did a decade ago. We have twice as many licensing requests. I get called from members of Congress, Democrat and Republican, constantly. Why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you controlling more with artificial intelligence? Why aren't you controlling more with semiconductors? I agree with you. I have a $200 million budget. 
That's like the cost of a few fighter jets. Come on, if we're serious, let's go. Fund this operation like it needs to be funded so we can do what we need to do to protect America. You mentioned export controls. You rolled out new updated 10-7 rules, export controls on chips just recently. Why was that necessary? Uh, we can't let China get these chips, period, period. Listen, here's the amazing thing. I know there's a lot of members of the private sector here, a lot of entrepreneurs here. America leads the world in artificial intelligence, period, full stop. America leads the world in advanced semiconductor design, period, full stop. That's because of our private sector. That's because we have great innovators. It's because of our public sector, too, investing in that. We're a couple years ahead of China. No way are we going to let them catch up. We cannot let them catch up. So we're going to deny them our most cutting edge technology. And I know there are CEOs of chip companies. Oh, thank you. I know there are CEOs of chip companies in this audience who were a little cranky with me when I did that because you're losing revenue. Such is life. Protecting our national security matters more than short term revenue. And so that's what we're going to do. I'll tell you, um, this stuff, when I say this stuff, I mean supercomputing, AI, AI technology, AI chips, in the wrong hands is as deadly as any weapon that we could provide. And so we have to be serious if we're going to meet that threat. And serious about enforcement. The other thing we need resources for at the Commerce Department is enforcement. Every day, China wakes up trying to figure out how to do an end run around our export controls. Every minute of every day, which means every minute of every day, we have to wake up tightening those controls and being more serious about enforcement with our allies, with the Dutch, with the Japanese, with the Europeans. That's another thing we're doing. We have to have a multilateral approach, similar to you know, COCOM in the depths of the Cold War. We need a multilateral approach to export controls to really you know, meet the threat that China poses. Um, there has been, you touched on a little bit, but there has been criticism that export controls have gone too far. There's also been the criticism that they haven't gone far enough. So I guess what goes into the decision-making process around that, and is it still up for review? Are you still looking at changing it or adjusting it as we go here in real time? It's really hard. Um, Alan uh, and I talk about this all the time. It's a constant balance. If you go too far in export controls, you deny US companies revenue, which they need to continue to innovate. And if we do it without our allies, that's doubly problematic. What good is it to deny US companies revenue if China gets the technology anyway from the Germans, the Dutch, the Japanese, or the Koreans? Having said that, uh, if you don't go far enough, China gets our technology, and they you know, could do nuclear simulation or whatever they want. A modern fighting force is more technologically enabled than ever. That's why commerce matters so much. And so these discussions of where to draw the line, I'm not going to lie. It's, I don't know if we're perfect. I don't know if you can be perfect. So what I tell my team is we need to have a constant dialogue with industry so we know as much as they know about the technology, a constant dialogue with our friends in the Pentagon. And I have to, a huge shout out to Secretary Austin. He's been an amazing partner to me. And we just have to have like a fidelity 
and discipline to our process so that we're constantly challenging ourselves. You know, are we doing enough? Are we not doing too much? And also, one of the things I'm doing at Commerce is really building up our technical capacity. So like I said, we, we, are, we know as much as anyone else about the technology. I mean, China's chip makers have been stockpiling equipment in preparation of this. Uh, look no further than Huawei's new smartphone that was released a couple of months ago to know when that. When I was in China. Yes. Oh, look at that. Thank you very much. Um, to know that they're moving quickly on this, uh, how quickly can you counter them uh, when you are having to take a thoughtful approach? You are speaking to industry. Um, you, you do have a team that is on a $200 million budget, uh, and yes, growing, but um, there's only so fast you can go. Yeah. So I would say this. The nature of the threat is changing, and we need to therefore change our strategy. Uh, historically, BIS uses what everyone here knows, the entity list. Huawei, for example, is a Chinese national champion. They're on the entity list. SMIC. Like, we know for a fact these Chinese companies aid the Chinese military. So they're on the list. We can't sell things to them. But that gets us into like a whack-a-bowl, right? So Huawei spins out another company. It's really a constant whack-a-mole. So what we're trying to move towards, which is what we did with October 7th, is countrywide controls. We have to get smarter about what are the technologies, which are just where we are ahead of China. They're capable of doing very bad things. And we're going to deny the entire country this class of equipment. So that's one example of how we're innovating on our approach to meet the threat. Because as you say, if you're, if you're just doing this whack-a-mole approach, we find out of a, one company that's a problem, we put them on the list, literally a week from now, there'll be another company. You know, China will create another subsidiary. So I think we're getting more serious about countrywide controls and I can't say it enough. We have to get even more serious about working with our allies. It's, it's not okay if we deny China something and the Japanese and the Germans are selling them component parts to make EUV tools. Not okay. So we've got to get you know, more serious about it so that it's harder. There's nothing perfect, right? The Chinese are going to do everything they can to find loopholes, but we have to get faster, more agile, and, and, and think differently about our strategies. I, one more question on this before we start to move on here, and that is, is U.S. industry or semi-industry on board? And, and I ask that, I'm, I'm going to, not, I'm not trying to call out this company specifically, <laughs> it's just that they were in the news this week. They are the <clears throat> poster child of, of AI, but NVIDIA, for example, developing a new export compliant chip for China, the H20. It's expected to roll out early next year. Um, it meets the export control requirements, but when you see the adaptability of that dynamic in a global marketplace for American companies, does it mean that the conversation with industry has to change or, or evolve uh, more than it, where it currently is now? Yes, and that's a great point. So, and I want to say this to everybody in industry who is here. Are, is industry on board? I mean, yes, but they're in the business of making money. Every time I take an action, it denies them revenue. My own view is that industry, newsflash, Democracy 
is good for your businesses. Rule of law here and around the world is good for your businesses. So it might make for a tough quarterly shareholder call, but in the long run, it's worth you working with us to defend our country's national security. If you're not selling into China a decade from now, it's not because of our export controls. It's because China's designing you out because they want to decouple, not because of what I do. So we have to be eyes wide open about the threat from China and work together. So your businesses are strong and lead the world, but also so our national security is protected. I would say industry's been you know, cooperative, helpful. We have a good relationship, very much so. But of course, there's a bit of a natural tension um, in the work that we do in the moment. Um, on export controls, I do want to say this. We do, to answer your question, I think it's a really smart question, we need to move beyond the traditional way we're engaging with industry in the following respect. Historically, the Commerce Department draws a cut line, like we did with NVIDIA. We drew a particular cut line. Not surprisingly, within a few months, NVIDIA released a new chip just below that cut line. Fine. That's what industry does. That's what we've taught them to do. That's the way export controls work. That's not productive. So we need to, and Alan and I are developing this, a new way to have a continuous dialogue with industry where our engineers can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with their engineers, and we go to them and say, our intent is to deny China technologies that can do X, Y, Z. So I'm telling you, if you redesign a chip around a particular cut line that enables them to do AI, I'm going to control it the very next day. So we have to get to a place with industry where we say our national security goal is to have no AI special sauce in your chip, for example, and just don't do it. And so it's, but it's a more nuanced discussion because otherwise we just say, draw the line, the engineer around the line, we draw the line, the engineer around the line. We have to have a more continuous back and forth with industry where we make our intentions clear. By the way, the burden's on us. This is our intention. This is the effect we need to have, um, almost like the commander's intent and then industry needs to comply. More from our fireside chat with Secretary Gina Raimondo from the 2023 Reagan National Defense Forum after this message. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now back to our fireside chat with Secretary Gina Raimondo from the 2023 Reagan National Defense Forum. Commerce is playing, <clears throat> this brings us squarely into the conversation of artificial intelligence overall. Commerce is playing a key role in the president's first of its kind executive order on AI. You and I spoke the day it was unveiled. How quickly does that roll out? How meaningful is it to providing guardrails for capability, uh, for AI capability, despite the conversation we're having between 
pacing threats and great power competitions where we know this technology is going to matter not only today, but in the future more meaningfully. So the Commerce Department is, as you say, um, in the center of the president's strategy for AI. Uh, we have two roles. One is what we've been talking about, BIS, denying China our AI. But I think the more important role we have actually is, the, is proactive, you know, investing with industry through the CHIPS Act, uh, working with industry to help them run faster so we can out-innovate China. About a month ago, I stood up in the Commerce Department an AI Safety Institute, and that's intended to work with industry and with Congress and with policymakers to figure out what are the guardrails. I will say there's a view in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, this uh, move fast and break things, effective acceleration. We can't embrace that with AI. It's too dangerous. You can't break things when you're talking about AI. So we have to find a balance. We have to find a balance of, as you say, guardrails, uh, making sure these models don't get into the hands of non-state actors and bad guys, making sure the models do what we think they're going to do. That's a huge thing. Not even the developers know what the model will do. Uh, so it has to be safe. But we have to be very careful, because we can't overreach. Otherwise, we'll stifle innovation. And America's in the lead because we've out-innovated the world. Uh, Europe is way behind us. China is still behind us. So anyway, it's, um, once again, it's delicate and it is complicated. I will say this. Uh, when I look in the mirror, I am constantly asking myself, how can I run a more innovative commerce department in the age of AI. I think everyone in government needs to do that. Government across the board is way too slow to know how to procure software, how to procure AI, how to use AI for good in what we do. Um, and still a little bit, I think we have a zero-sum game of what are we going to do, enable industry? or, uh, you know, enable innovation in industry or protect our national security. And that's an old-fashioned way of thinking, and we can't have that zero-sum game. We've got to do both. We've got to enable industry so we out-innovate and protect our national security. So what does, that, what does that actually look like? Because China might be behind us. They're not subjecting themselves to the same ethics, same guardrails, or even same approach to data. We don't want to be lowest common denominator. We, look, we're a country that, that values privacy, that values rights, that values human rights. None of that's changing. So we can do both. That's what makes America great. We can do both, and we will do both. We need to make investments in research and development. We need to make investments in job training and technical capacity. We need to uh, work with industry to enable them to innovate and also have guardrails so that we don't, um, like I said, either do bad things ourselves, we have to protect our technology. I mean, the, the state-sponsored espionage to get access to our technology is so real. So it's, uh, but we can do it. I have no doubt that we can do it. But it has to be a much, a new model uh, to meet the threat that China poses. We have to have a new model 
of collaboration between commerce and the Pentagon, between the government and industry, between universities and the defense industrial base. I mean, it has to be a, a, diff, a more modern model if we're going to meet the challenges as required. Which brings us to CHIPS Act, big sweeping, sweeping package. Uh, I think we have quite a number of folks, if I had to guess, in this room who are very curious to know when funding starts to go out. Any day now. <laughs> I have a whole team back home working as we speak. I checked in with them all early this morning. Uh, look, I'll say this uh, in all seriousness. Uh, really soon, I'd love to make an announcement before the end of the year uh, and then continued stream of announcements um, in the first quarter, first half of next year. Um, it's not to be defensive, but Commerce, at the time the bill was passed, wasn't built to do this job. We've hired 110 people, uh, some of the best investors in America, the best uh, credit market analysts in America, the best industry analysts, the best engineers. So we've built it from whole cloth. I, I am very proud of the work we're doing in terms of how high quality it is, protecting taxpayers' money. And so I think you'll start, like I already said, the timeline. I want to say this, especially to members of the audience who may be applying for CHIPS money. Um, I'm going to be in the business of dishing out disappointment because <laughs> there's just not enough money. We only have $39 billion for these company incentives, and I have a national security mission that I must meet. Yes, we want to create jobs in America. Yes, we need manufacturing in America. Fundamentally, this is a national security initiative. The United States of America really makes no leading edge chips on our shores today. You mentioned NVIDIA. All of their chips are made in Taiwan, every one of them. I don't need to tell anyone in this audience the risks related to Taiwan or China. So at the end of the day, I'm going to do my very best to stretch this capital, be creative, and get every one a, a good number. But at the end of the day, for me to sleep, put my pillow, my head on the pillow at night, I've got to meet the national security mission. And that means making sure we make enough leading edge chips, have enough advanced packaging, enough current mature chips for the defense industrial base, in the United States of America. It's a national security mission that we need to achieve with this money. Have you gamed out those risks where Taiwan is concerned? Because to your point, NVIDIA or Apple or any other countless number of companies uh, and thus economies are going, would be impacted if you did see China make some sort of move on Taiwan, particularly in the near term. And if we thought we saw supply chain uh, spurred inflation coming out of the pandemic, we ain't seen nothing yet in terms of the economic yeah. turmoil a situation like that uh, would entail. So how quickly can you stand up that domestic manufacturing, especially when fabs are complicated and they can take years to put together? You, once again, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, we can't move fast enough. Look, I don't know if and when China will make a move on Taiwan, and in many ways I can't control that. Our Defense Department's doing an amazing job with deterrence. What I can control is how fast we run in America. 
So I have to assume the worst and go as fast as we can. Uh, and that's why we're going to start getting this money out the door early next year. And we're working. I'm, I will say, I want to thank all the CHIPS companies who are here who've applied. They've all been unbelievable partners. We it's not like they apply and we give them an answer. It's a constant back and forth, back and forth. You know, what are their plans? They're amending their plans to meet our national security needs. That's why I mentioned advanced packaging, for example. So I, I feel great about it, and that's the attitude we have to say, which is like, we need this for America's national security. What's the fastest, most capital efficient way to accomplish this? And let's get it done. I've got two more questions for okay, you I'll here. Brief. So we're, we're going to try and bang through this, because uh, I know the clock's ticking down. Um, the first is we're talking a lot about chips. Are there other US origin products or types of technologies that you are looking at in a similar fashion right now? Absolutely. Um, in biotechnology, um, uh, AI, AI models, AI products, cloud computing, supercomputing. Um, so short answer is yes. You know, once again, as everything gets so much more technologically enabled and everything that flows from artificial intelligence, that's why I said I'll maybe the first here, I'm not the last, because technology and our ability to control our technology, it, 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 I think um, BIS, if it's not already, should be soon the most exciting place to work in the federal government, because it's, it's this, it's this. How do we advance AI and control AI and everything that flows from it um, effectively to win? And that's the work that we're doing. You met with your Chinese counterparts in China a couple of months ago. You were in the room for President Biden and Xi meeting at APEC. You met with your own counterparts, Chinese counterparts at APEC. How would you, even as we have this conversation on stage, how would you characterize the relationship currently between the two countries as we've seen uh, communication, relations, thaw, and increase? I would say communication is a good thing because if, here's what I know. If you don't have communication, you'll move more rapidly to escalation and tension and miscalculation. But don't confuse communication with weakness or softness. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of commerce to be done with China. It won't affect our national security. It'll create jobs in America, and we should do that. And by the way, it should be reciprocal. If they want access to our markets, they have to give us access to their markets. You know, Union pay, Alipay, their payments happen in America. Let's go. MasterCard, Visa, et cetera, ought to be allowed in China. So on a fair, you know, and that's just one example because I only have a second. But on a level playing field, we will compete and we will trade, and that is good. But on matters of national security, we've got to be eyes wide open about the threat. This is the biggest threat we've ever had. It's a, and we need to meet the moment. And so I think that we just, um, you could communicate. You should communicate. You have to work together on things like fentanyl and climate wherever we can. We have no interest in tension, no interest in escalation. The world needs us to manage our relationship with China responsibly to avoid escalation. We've got to do all that, but make no mistake about it. China's not our friend, and we need to be eyes wide open about the extent of that threat. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish this conversation? 
Um, the only thing I would say, apart from the fact that I'm really pleased to be here, is a challenge to all of us to think differently. You know, technology uh, is changing at a rate that we've never seen. And that means we need to change. We need to change the way we think about spectrum strategy. It can't be a zero-sum game. We need to make spectrum available so we can out-innovate the world and make sure the DOD has what it needs. We already talked about AI. We need to change the way we procure technology. We need to change, like when we're doing our hiring internally, how do we get the engineers and technical geniuses that we need to do the job? How do we attract and recruit young people to the government you know, to do this work that we need? And so for all of us, I mean, that's the challenge. It's the excitement. Like, I, I am ready to win, and I'm ready to do that with all of you, but it's time to open our aperture and challenge the way we've done business in every way if we're going to meet the threat China poses and if we're going to do what needs to be done with this technology. The Honorable Gina Raimondo. Thank you. Secretary of the U.S. Commerce Department. Thank you. Thank you. Secretary Raimondo was sworn into office as Governor of Rhode Island in January 2015 and won a second term in 2018. She became the 40th U.S. Secretary of Commerce in March of 2021. You can find videos from all panels, keynote addresses, and fireside chats from our recent defense forum on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Reagan Foundation. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Until next week, thanks for listening, and God bless you. Don't forget to subscribe to A Reagan Forum podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of A Reagan Forum come out every Thursday. Like what you hear? Check out our Words to Live By podcast featuring radio addresses and speeches Ronald Reagan delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.